Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. And the second most talked about person behind Thomas Tuchel, of course, in West London, and maybe even globally, Nishal Schwaga Patel. Hey, Nishal, how are you? forward to being on today. Welcome, welcome. So Nishal is an accredited journalist with BCOMs in London and made his debut at Stamford Bridge covering Chelsea versus Burnley. Today he joins us to talk about Chelsea. Welcome to the Premier Chelsea. Now before we get into the game and your day at the bridge, we figured it'd be good to give our listeners a quick background on yourself and how your last 48 hours have been. So a lot of people have asked kind of the most generic questions out there about the day itself, but we want to know how or why did you become a Chelsea fan? I really have football influence. You know, my dad, he's from Switzerland and he's forced to grow up a close in Switzerland, but didn't really support them as an adult. And no one in my family supported a football team. So I didn't really have an influence, but in school, in primary school, which for you, I think is elementary school, um, over in the United States. My best friend at the time was a big Chelsea fan. And as I got into football, at the same time, I was friends with him. And I spoke to him and, you know, found out he was a Chelsea fan. And ever since then, I've not changed. So thanks to my friend from when I was very young. His name is Hamish. I've been a Chelsea fan ever since. Yeah, that's exciting. I always love when us Chelsea fans can bring in a new Chelsea fan to join the club. It's always been great. So I've heard a quote recently where you said you've always wanted to be a journalist. You know, many kids growing up, even ourselves, wanted to be the next football out there. So why did you want to be a journalist? It's funny, actually, because, you know, I, I always loved playing football, really enjoyed it, but never expected to be a footballer. I always said, oh, it's not possible. You know, it's not realistic anyway. Besides, I enjoy writing about it more. Um, ever since I was young and actually the same time I became a Chelsea fan was when I decided I'm going to be a journalist. Um, I think for me, I just loved writing. I loved creating content. You know, when I was young, I'd always be writing match reports about Chelsea games I went to, all of my homework at school. When we had the choice on what to do, it'd always be about Chelsea, always be writing about football. And, you know, from a very young age, that's always been my passion. It's always been my dream. So, you know, that's why going to Stamford Bridge the other day as a journalist for the first time meant so much to me, not just because I'm a Chelsea fan, of course, but more because this is a lifelong dream for me. It's something I've aspired to do my whole life, something I've worked towards my entire life. And, you know, I'm in the early stages of it. I'm just really starting now in the main industry. But I hope there's a lot more to come because I've really, you know, this has been a long journey for me, about a decade, even more that I've been going into it and working hard. And I'm glad it's finally starting to pay off. But, you know, it really is a lifelong dream for me. We, for one, are very excited that you're getting to live this dream. For some of us, me personally, I've not had a chance to make it out to Stamford Bridge. So if we can see you out there, it's always exciting to know. Thank you. You know, someone's out there at least representing the Chelsea fans in this time. All right. So I've got another question for you here. Give us a little background, uh, a little one-liner actually, on who BCOMs are and what they stand for. So BCOMs stands for the Black Collective of the Media and Sport. And, you know, it's titled Black, but it represents all the underrepresented communities in the sports media 
um, people of colour, so the BAME community, the LGBTQ plus community, and women, all three underrepresented communities in sports journalism. And the aim of BCOMS is to improve um, diversity and representation in the media, which is where I come in. Obviously, you can't see me, but you can tell by my name, I'm a person of colour. Definitely a brilliant mission, especially since people from different backgrounds can have different perspectives on how things work, especially in sports and Chelsea, a club that's a multi-million dollar and a multi-nation club that has fans from all over the world. So let's get into a couple of fun questions now. What is your favorite Chelsea moment in history? Well, this won't surprise many of you. Champions League final 2012. I was very young at the time, you know, actually really early on in sports and Chelsea, but to see my team in a Champions League final, not just in it, but to win it was just absolutely unbelievable. I'm sure you could ask every Chelsea fan in the world, and almost all of them would say that night in Munich, Didier Jogba equalising, Petacek saving a penalty, Didier Jogba scoring that winning penalty to win the Champions League for the first time. Incredible moments, you know, and to think it happened so early as well, whereas we had so many fans, you know, from the 70s and 80s who waited decades in their entire life to see that. And for me, it only took a few years, but um, that was undoubtedly my favourite moment as a Chelsea fan. And I can't wait to see us win it again. And Rahul and I actually watched it together and the emotions that happened after Drogba scored. I can still remember I lost my voice for days yelling at the TV because that was such an incredible goal, but nothing like it, absolutely. So speaking of Drogba and some of these moments, do you have an all-time favourite Chelsea player and an all-time favourite manager for Chelsea? All-time favourite Chelsea player is very, very easy for me. Didier Drogba, as I've said already, he was a player... I idolised and grew up, absolutely love him. My first Chelsea game I went to against Swansea in 2011, he came off a bench and he scored in the very last minutes, which is incredible for me. But of course, I love the whole old guard, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Jogba, Petacek, Ashley Cole, big fan of all of them, of course. Someone else outside of that old guard, Juan Mata, he loved that man, really, really liked him, especially because I actually met him at my first Chelsea game and I've got a signed match day programme from him sitting in my room. So it's a special affiliation with him. But if I had to choose one, it's always going to be Didier Drogba. In terms of manager, that's a much, much harder question. Um, Frank Lampard, of course, you know, he's a Chelsea legend. There's no denying that. In terms of what he did in management, obviously it's harder to say. He didn't win a trophy. He left after a year and a half. And of course, the memory of him being sacked is still fresh. Um, Jose Mourinho as well. It's a very difficult one, you know, hugely appreciative of what he did at the club and what he achieved of us. But away from the two kind of traditional options you'd go for that I mentioned, I would say Antonio Conte. I was a big, big fan of his and I loved seeing him on the touchline. So passionate, a proper fan, diving into the East Stand, celebrating with everyone. You know, I think he really embodied what we wanted Chelsea. Passion, desire, drive, success. Yes, it didn't turn out so well in the second season. And, you know, that was all very underwhelming let's let's be honest but I was a big big fan of content you know I still still enjoy seeing him doing well Vincent Milan some great names you've mentioned there we personally also love all of those managers just not only for the silverware they bring but for the passion and excitement I still remember when Conte and Jose got into it on the touchline a few years ago that's always great to see when two ex-managers get into each other but 
this was kind of the quick segment of questions I had for you. Appreciate you answering it. But now I want to bring in Rahul, who's been sitting here quietly and patient. So Rahul, what are your thoughts today? Thank you, Nishal, for joining us. Really appreciate it. And, and some great insight and background into uh, yourself and, and where you've been and, and how you got to Sunday, the day against Chelsea versus Burnley. So we'll jump right into the game and, and discuss it. And I'm very excited. Jackie's very excited to have you uh, our Stanford Bridge insider to give us some of the the details that happened at the game. So, let's start with the starting eleven. Uh, a three four three again from Tuchel in his second game. Mendy in goal, Espelicueta, Silva, Rudiger in in defense. Hudson Odoi, our new right wing back, uh, playing on the right. Jorginho Kovacic in the midfield. The return and resurgence of Marcus Alonso at left wing back. So love to get some thoughts from you on that initial one uh, in just a second. And up top, Mount, Werner, and Tammy Abraham. So a, a very strong lineup. Yeah, absolutely a really strong lineup. And no surprise to see a back three again. We saw that against Wolves. And of course, you know, Thomas Tuchel is a very flexible manager tactics-wise. But to see him play the same formation, that's expected. I was very excited to see a back three again, you know, not since the days of prime Frank Lampard against Tottenham and Arsenal, even Antonio Conte in the title for winning season. Have we really seen a back three? Um, you know, I was happy with a defensive four, but especially Marcus Alonso, you know, his first game in four months. We saw reports of him possibly starting the night before the game. A lot of mixed reaction, a lot of backlash from Chelsea fans, which I understand. I don't excuse it at all. I don't condone it at all because I saw some pretty horrid abuse for him but you know as soon as I saw Mark Alonso on my team sheet I thought I'm fine September was his last appearance um we went off our half time and even then he barely had a starting spot in Frank Lampard side so to see him back resurgent and also with a wonderful goal to clinch the game it's really good to see from him you know he's had a tough year couple of years as well at Chelsea but it's great to see him back in and hopefully with a new life and a new lease under Thomas Tuchel yeah absolutely and and he in that position as a left wing back is one of the best on the planet so when he plays there and he scores he assists and gets involved and, and adds that extra attacking option that we you know we need when we're playing a defensive team in Burnley so definitely good to see uh, I know Jackie and I have debated Marcus Alonso a lot on this podcast. So, Jackie, any thoughts on, on Alonso coming back and scoring? Yeah, I think Nishal touched it on the head pretty much. Is He is a player that splits opinion because of who he is and how he plays in different formations. So, obviously, in a back four, Marcos isn't always defensive. And so, as fans, we get a little bit frustrated. But... When you switch him into a wing-back position, like you said, I don't think there's anybody better at attacking. And some of the goals he scores and the way he controls the ball, I mean, whoever changed him from a striker and used to make him a left wing-back really robbed us of a world-class striker, I must say. But really, really brilliant that goal was. And he didn't actually see it. So it just it's something that happens naturally for him. He doesn't understand that it was one of the best goals I've ever seen him in a, in a Chelsea shirt. So... Definitely, and for the longest period, I think he was a quiet game for him until he scored the game, uh, until he scored the goal, I mean. But he pops up and, and does what he does best, so 
it was great to see and we'll just jump right into uh, a quick uh, review of the game so Chelsea dominated from start to finish 72% possession overall Burnley played a little more offensive than personally I thought they would but everything they put out was dealt with perfectly well by our defense and uh, kudos to Rudiger, Silva and Aspilicueta they had zero shots on target so that's that in itself is is, is quite an achievement and that's a second consecutive consecutive game where Mendy has had to make no saves because there's been no shots on goal um, so he's he's doing well Mendy himself and um, everything we did was down that right hand side about 41% of Chelsea's attacks came from that side uh, and it was mainly through Hudson-Odoi we'll, who we'll touch on in this in a second but Espelicueta pops up with the goal in the first half uh, and second half Tammy Abraham subbed off so I'd love to get some insights from Nishal on that uh, Pulisic comes on and we here in the US are massive massive Pulisic supporters so uh, he made a difference with the second goal. And then obviously, like we've spoken about, Alonso pops up with the winner. So, uh, Nishal, let's start with hudson Adoy. Did we or did you ever think at your first game as a journalist at the, at the club, you'd see hudson Adoy in a wing-back position? I didn't think from the first time I saw hudson Adoy play, that I'd ever see him as a wing-back. You know, I've been watching him since his youth days, club, And he was always a natural winger, someone really exciting, really energetic and wanting to go forward, wanting to create chances. And as a wing-back, I was surprised to see him against Wolves, but he impressed me. And then when I saw the team sheet again, this time against Burnley, and I realised he was going to be a wing-back, I thought, yeah, that's fine. You know, we've seen what he can do. And he was absolutely outstanding. You know, there's a good reason that in the two games he's played as a wing-back, he's been awarded man of a match. He deserves it. He's been excellent. I think what works for him as a wing-back is he has that defensive ability. You know, when he needs to come back and defend, we saw that against Wolves, where Leander Dendonka nearly scored in the last minute. Callum Hudson-Odoi tracking back, covering brilliantly. We can see that defensive side of the game. But above all, as a wing-back, you have so much more freedom, especially when on Callum Hudson-Odoi's side, we had Mason Mount, who was not a winger, but rather an inverted attacking midfielder, you know, just in behind the striker, which gave Hudson-Odoi the whole right flank and you could see he was loving it really driving forward enjoying it and of course he got the assist in the first half lovely pass lovely movement from him and if we keep him as right wing back I've got no complaints you know we've got two great options in Hudson Adoy and Reese James on that side I don't mind who starts but for now it's got to be Hudson Adoy he has been brilliant we agree and, and we we're a little doubtful in, in questioning the, the choice of Hudson Odoi at, at wing back, but he's totally proven us wrong and, and taking this opportunity in his stride. And like you said, Reese James now has to put in that extra 50% in training and, and impress Tuchel that I can also do the job that you need at wing back. So it's definitely something special brewing on, the, on, that, on that wing, and, and hopefully uh, he continues in his rich wane of form. Uh, Jackie, any thoughts on Hudson Odoi? I know. We're, we were excited when uh, he provided the assist and just dominated all game. Yeah, looking back to Hudson Odoi when he started poking through under Mauricio Sari, you could tell he was super exciting, fast paced, you know, somebody that we would be watching for years to come. And then the whole Bayern Munich saga came down. We were a little bit worried we we're going to lose another youth prospect. Now he made a resurgence under Frank and really did enjoy watching him play. When he turned up as a right wing back, I was honestly a little bit surprised, a little bit shocked, because it doesn't really 
sit in my mind that that's part of his game because he just seems to be the guy who wants to bomb forward. However, I must say, in the two games he's played, I think this is going to make him a better player. I think it's going to make him an all-round player, and really, it's going to give him a shout for some, you know, spot in England. Actually, that's definitely. I think for him, the target should be. I know Euros are in the summer, and uh, you never know what happens with a few more months to go before that. And and if he continues playing and performing, Gareth Southgate really has as a tough decision on his hand. But. Uh, Nishal, I can't, I can't move on from the Hudson-Odoi uh, topic without asking you. So we saw a lot of reports between a conversation between so- Sean Dyche and Robbie Brady, uh, where Sean Dyche was like uh, asking Robbie Brady why he isn't marking and, and trying to defend Hudson-Odoi. And the response was, I see where he is. I know what he's about to do. I just can't get to him. So did you hear that? And, and was that... Uh, a really an interaction that went down and, and how was it? Unfortunately, sorry to disappoint you, I didn't hear that interaction. But I could definitely hear the talk about Hudson Adoy. Sean Dyche was fuming throughout the game, really shouting at his players as always, frustrated and fuming that they weren't picking up Hudson Adoy. And I also heard quite a lot of Tuchel's interactions with Hudson Adoy. First off, especially, as I said, Tuchel was on the left hand side of a pitch, Callum Hudson Adoy on the right. Um, fast side, but you could hear them interacting with each other. Tuchel shouting over to him, telling him to come over, and Hudson Adoy listening to him, you know, really responding to what he's saying. And I think it's great to see that dynamic between our manager and, for me, one of our most impressive players in recent weeks. You know, as you say about England, I think he's got a good chance to make him, you know, whether Gareth Southgate wants to deploy him as a wing back, you know, we've seen him play a back three, or whether he's going to keep him in his natural position as a right winger. I would be honest, I would see him more as a wing-back. Yes, we've got a lot of right-backs in England squad, but our front three, Sterling, Sancho, Kane, Hudson-Odoi, let's be realistic, won't push into that first-choice attack, but absolutely he can be there as a wing-back. So I think he's in contention, but he's got to be staying consistent in his game time. That's by him performing and by Tuchel having faith in him. But from what we've seen so far, two back-to-back starts, a really good dynamic, really good understanding between the two. You know, it's looking really bright for Hudson Adore. Yeah, we hope so too. And and it would be a great season for him if he ends up going to the Euros and, and playing with England. So fingers crossed and, and hope he continues to perform and, and put in the uh, assists and goals that, you know, we require and, and need at this point of the season. So moving on to another Chelsea player that didn't have a very good game in Tammy Abraham, subbed off at halftime, as we mentioned. Uh, I, I personally thought the substitution was a little harsh just because Burnley crowded the, the middle section of the field and for Tammy Abraham to succeed with all the defenders around him plus Werner and Mount playing narrower than, than they do, I thought it was a little harsh. But again, Werner played in, in, as a striker in the second half and, and did pretty well. So uh, any insight on that from Pitt's side and, and any thoughts on that from you, Nishal? Yeah, well, Tammy Abraham, unfortunately, didn't have the best game, best half of football. You know, he couldn't really find his way through Burnley. Of course, a very physical, hard-hitting team. Once or twice, going right through the back of Tammy Abraham and him struggling. I don't think that was... Uh, it's not a personal criticism. It's more a tactical thing, you know. In terms of with Burnley, we needed someone who could break the lines more rather than be in the box and wait for the opportunity. And that's why Christian Pulisic came on. 
you might have seen, but I saw them at halftime once, I'm sure, the TV stations had cut to their advertisement breaks. I saw Christian Pulisic by himself with one of the Chelsea staff going through a very rigorous individual warm-up, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Took a photo, tweeted it, and then you know went back to my work preparing my articles. And I checked it about 20 minutes later, and it's got a 1,000 likes, and I was like, wow, okay. And I realized it's because, um, you know, Pulisic ended up coming on as well. So it was, you know, 15 minutes in advance of anyone knowing. I, I didn't say he was coming on, you know, deep down I knew he was going to. But what I wanted to do was kind of say, look, here's the information. You make your mind up. Because if I say Pulisic is going to come on and I'm wrong, you know, it, it's bad for me reputation-wise, let's be really honest. But all, I'm, all I showed was, look, Here's a photo of Pulisic warming up at half time. You make judgment. And it proved to be right. So that was a really interesting goal. Really, really nice ball. When I was watching it in motion, I thought it was a normal cross, but you watch it again. And it's a really delicate chip through to Marcus Alonso. So he did really well to come on and had a great impact in the second half. He definitely did. In- I saw a few tweets come in at halftime as well that said Pulisic might be coming on, but um, I, I got to turn on notifications for you because it seems like you'll be sending us some more uh, insight from the game. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a good game overall, Jackie. Your your thoughts on the game, and it was pretty early here in the U.S. We woke up at like 7 a.m., 6 a.m. for you, but a good way to start the Sunday. Yeah, we control the game from start to finish, which is something that's always exciting to see. I just want to jump on to the comments about Tammy Abraham. And I know it's something difficult to see when Tammy gets subbed off at halftime, but you and I and a lot of other Chelsea fans have sat here and in the past criticized Frank for not making changes quick enough when we're not seeing the performance or it's not working out tactically. So credit over there to Tuchel because he noticed something. And again, like like Nishal said, it has nothing to do with Tammy personally. It just wasn't working in this particular um format or game or whatever and he at least made the change and you can see the change actually brought on something that we needed and Timo Warner to his credit was good as well so I for one am very excited we already touched on Alonso's goal he was brilliant I think for the most part nobody put a foot wrong which again it's still early days so I want to see how this plays out but it's shaping up to be what we've been looking for for this season really well said about the game management you're bang on I think one of my main criticisms of Frank Lampard was his man management. We'd be losing out of the game and we wouldn't see a substitution until 80 minutes. And I'd be shouting, what are you doing? You've got to change the game. And, you know, credit where credit's due. We were winning, yes. We were in the game, yes. But we didn't need a change. And Tuchel wasn't afraid to do that. Half-time, straight away, make a switch. And it changed the game. And it gave us more uh, firepower going forward. And it because we got a win. So, yeah, massive credit for Tuchel there for doing that and being brave enough to make that change of a break. Absolutely, and and nothing against Tammy, like you guys have said, and I, I hope he takes this in his stride as well and, and comes back stronger and, and determined to do better. It would be nice to have a striker in form. I think that's something that we're missing right now. Uh, but Giroud, Tammy Abraham, and Werner have been good in spells throughout the season, and I hope they continue it. But, uh, Nishal, you brought up a good point that earlier that you saw Tuchel interacting with hudson Adore, obviously, but he seems to be interacting throughout the game He's always barking out instructions and, and tactical tweaks. Uh, just touching on the Wolves game real quick at halftime, we remember him talking to Espelicueta 
and saying if we'll switch to a, a front three, this is what we're going to do as a team. So what, what was your thoughts on Tuchel on, on the sideline? He seemed a little bit more quiet. I say that in quotes in the Burnley game, but uh, we didn't have the camera on him and the insight that you did. So would love to get some thoughts on you on Tuchel so far. Well, there were two parts of Tuchel against Burnley. There was the first 20, 25 minutes where he was quiet because he was observing the game. You could see him, how he was watching, letting his players do their thing and kind of observing how his team came up against, you know, a good informed Burnley side. But then as he got a bit more frustrated, you know, Mason Mount was wasting a few chances. Um, there were collisions, you know, collision with um, Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount. We were very wasteful in the first half and Tuchel began to become more and more angry and you could hear him shouting, take a second touch, take a second touch and really shouting, really passionate on the touchline. It reminds me of Conte actually, that same sort of passion and energy on the sideline. But as the game went on, he got more enthralled and he was talking much more. You can see, I think he's a real perfectionist in what he wants to do and I could hear him very often really reaching out and talking to all of his players and it paid off. You know, he's really involved in the game, which is what I love to see. And something I mentioned before, actually, is that in the last stages of Frank Lampard's reign, you didn't really see him saying anything on a touchline. You would look at him and he'd be hand-folded, silent, and just looking glum. And yes, I love Frank Lampard. But it was painful to see that because it was the thought of why aren't you trying to do something to change the game? Whereas with Tuchel, he's very engaged. He really is trying to make a difference. You've got to be vocal as a manager. And you see him, but most importantly, you hear him every time I'm watching the game. You know, most times I would hear Tuchel above all of the players just because of how loud he was. But it was very positive to see that, and you know, it paid off. And he's got great skills, which is something I think we've been lacking this season. Definitely. And as much as we love Lampard, we've said the same thing, Jackie, and I discussed towards the end of his reign. Uh, it seemed like he had run out of ideas, to be honest. And and we love him. We were disappointed when he got the sack. But it's it's great to see a manager that is on the sideline that is putting in 100% and trying to get the players going. And as sad as it is that it's an empty Stamford Bridge, I think that one of the benefits of it is that you get to hear these interactions and get to see the players and, and manager communicating, which is something that, you know, is always said about a team that, Winning teams always communicate. So, Jackie, any thoughts on Tuchel's second game before we move on to the Spurs preview? I think you gents have summed it up brilliantly. I think the answer is yes. I think the communication is missing. Because if you really look at it, going back to some of Frank Lampard's reign, we kept a lot of the ball. We kept a lot of the control. We just didn't have that finesse to kill off games or maybe be high scoring, whatever the, the terms may be. I think the communication piece is really, really important here. So the fact that you guys are hearing things, we are seeing things, him yelling across the pitch, it makes a big difference. And just like you summarized, Rahul, towards the end of his career with Chelsea as a manager, I must specify, you're right. He probably did lose some belief. He probably lost some ideas. But back to Tuchel, I think he's been good so far. I thought we were brilliant in that game. And I just hope that we continue going into Tottenham. I agree, Jackie, and it, it was a good win. Like I said, Burnley had nothing much to, to attack on Mendy's goal, and Mendy at one point, in fact, did a Cruyff turn, so I was excited to see that. And 
I'm sure if the crowd was there initial and the crowd would have been yelling and, and screaming. Uh, but before we move on, guys, we do like to talk about our man of the match. And, and I know Hudson Adoy may be a clear favorite. So uh, in in the interest of keeping things in different, let's talk about maybe a, another player that impressed you throughout the game. And, and you see him kind of staying in, in the team. So for me, that would be Espelicueta. Initial, why don't you uh, tell us who you think, apart from Hudson Odoi? Yeah, well, I was full of praise for Hudson Odoi, of course, but my collective praise actually went to the back three. I think, you know, individually, yes, they were great, but I think they all complemented each other brilliantly. Espelicueta, really good. He was clearing the lines every time. But when you do that, he wouldn't just be hoofing it away and recessing. He'd make his clearances straight into the path of one of the attackers, which is really impressive. Thiago Silva, hard-hitting, great tackling, excellent in the half defence. And Burnley quite on that right-hand side and also started off Alonso on his runs. So I think my praise, you know, I've said it in the game as well, went to that back three because we can't forget Burnley, very good side. They beat Aston Villa, they beat Liverpool. They weren't going to be an easy game. They didn't have a single shot on target. They had, I think, 28% possession. And that's not because they were bad. That's because of how good we were. Every time they would get into our final third, and I'd see them get close and maybe off a little threat, Chelsea's defence straight on them. No chance. Clatter them. Clear it. And we're back on the attack. And that was fantastic to see. So I would definitely expect to see a back three going forward based on these two performances. Yes, it will be tougher. There's no denying that. But I think they were very, very impressive and deserve a lot of praise. Personally, for my fantasy team, was very happy to see Espelicueta pop up with a goal and uh, a clean sheet. But the other two were fantastic as well. Jackie, how about you? I feel like we've covered the entire pitch at this point. Everybody was getting a lot of praise there. For me, one player that's come back from the cold and was very, very exciting, especially when you wake up for those really early morning kickoffs in the U.S., was Mateo Kovacic. The drive through the middle the flicks, the range of passing, which I typically expect that from Jorginho, but I saw him ping balls from the left side of the field all the way to the right-hand corner to find Callum a couple of times, and his drive-through to just find players is exciting. It's something that gets me off my seat. It shows that we're trying to move forward, and clearly some of these are instructions that he's been given. It's, hey, Kovacic, you know how to do this. You know how to control the ball. Do it, but those additional flicks and tricks were amazing to watch. Absolutely. Coaches is another player that's started off very well under uh, Tuchel. But that kind of wraps up the Burnley review, guys. Just before I move on, do check out Nichols Day at the Bridge. Uh, he posted a lot of good pictures on his Twitter. Uh, so it's Nichol underscore SP on Twitter. And you can see him uh, sitting just a couple of feet away from Keppa and Kai Havertz. You can see him, uh, you know, seeing... Thomas Tuchel walk over for his post-match pre, uh, uh, thoughts and Marcus Alonso as well. Um, so some great pictures and some great insight. And, and the, my, my favorite one was the 10-year challenge you posted, uh, Nishal, which showed you in the press box, um, a press room 10 years ago and then at the game. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. That was a very nice, um, a nice tweet because I had that photo up of me 10 years ago I downloaded that photo from my camera roll in the weekend and the days building up to the game because, you know, as soon as I found out I'd be going to Stamford Bridge, I instantly thought of that. You know, that's from the Stamford Bridge. Um, 
on the stadium tour and we got to go to a press conference room. And I thought, you know, I just want to tweet it. Really, Blue, I've got a lovely reception as well. But it was kind of just showing, and as we said at the start of the podcast, kind of showing my journey and, you know, living my dream. You know, that's a photo of me, very first time at Stamford Bridge, um, posing, being so happy to be in the press room and dreaming of being there. And then a decade later, I'm there. I'm there in the press box. So, yeah, that has a lot of special meaning to me. And also, um, there's a little video of me, actually, on my Twitter where I speak a bit more about that if you want to see. But yeah, that definitely meant a lot to me and kind of summed up the emotions. So do check it out, guys. But now we'll move on to our preview. Uh, Since we have Nishal here, we thought it'd be a good idea to talk about the Spurs game as well. It's a couple of days away. So uh, Spurs versus Chelsea on Thursday afternoon kind of wraps up the match week for uh, this midweek round of fixtures. And... This marks a start of three away games for Chelsea. So it's Spurs, Sheffield United in the Premier League, and then Barnsley away in the FA Cup. So let's start off. It's going to be a tough game, guys, and Spurs lost their last two. So that makes me a little nervous because they need to bounce back and and get a result. Uh, They will be missing Harry Kane, so that will be interesting. But on the Chelsea side, uh, a draw and a win in the last two and unbeaten in the last three. So things are looking good. And both teams are tied on 33 points. Spurs sit in 6th, Chelsea in 7th. And this gives me a a feeling of last year when the situation was flipped around a little bit where we were ahead of Spurs and they were coming into the game, uh, you know, doing winning and and closing the gap. So based off of that, what do you think our starting 11 will be, guys? I'll start with Jackie first here. Um, You know, back threes again, Jackie. Yeah, I can't imagine he's going to change the starting lineup too much just because in the first two games we've been pretty successful at controlling the ball. And Tottenham Hotspur anyway, when Jose Mourinho lines up against the so-called big six, he does like to play the low block and hit us on the counter. My only change that I can see happening is potentially Timo Werner will slide into the center forward position and Pulisic will get a start because he was brilliant every time he's come on. In the last two games, he's just shown us that pace, that energy. And like we've touched on, the cross that he gave for Marcus Alonso was brilliant. So I can't imagine too much change there. Mount was good, a little bit better than Havertz in the first game. So again, he needs to start. So that's really the only change. So just a quick review. Mendy in goal, same back three with Rudiger, Silva and Aspilicueta. Hudson Adore at wing back, Jorginho Kovacic uh, anchoring the midfield. Alonso on left wing. Then you've got... um, Pulisic on the left, Werner in the middle, and then Mount will continue on the right. That's that's definitely a strong lineup. And uh, initial, you think we? I think you already said it, but back three for sure, and and Hudson Odoi and, and Alonso wing backs. Those are the the nailed on positions, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree there. And I think in my this is my opinion, and also what I think will happen. I can see two changes from the Burnley game. I can see, like you said, Christian Pulisic either coming in for Timo Van on the left wing and over to the centre forward, or Pulisic coming in for Werner and Abraham staying up top, maybe even Giroud. But I think it'll be Pulisic, Werner, Mount. Because, of course, don't forget, Werner did score his first goal for Chelsea at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the League Cup defeat. So he's got a reputation of scoring there. My other change, I'd say, and this depends on if he's fit, the return of Angola Conte in midfield to partner Mateo Kovacic. So coming in for Jorginho, it completely depends on whether he can play the full 90 minutes. If he can't, 
it will be the same Jorginho Kovacic pivot. If he can, he has to play. Simple as. He brings so much to us. He's such a positive influence. And especially against Tottenham, where they're going to be trying to hit us on the counter, we need someone like him to be holding back, covering and protecting the defence. So if I was manager, if I was Tuchel, I'd bring in Conte for Jorginho and Pulisic for Werner. But of course, it depends on fitness. We'll have to see in the uh, pre-match press conference, which is actually in an hour. I was going to bring up Conte as well, and so I'm glad you did. I think he is fit. He was on the bench for the Burnley game. I thought he'd get a couple of minutes uh, against them, but a different game, and we were just trying to win it in, uh, towards the end. So uh, I hope Conte comes in. He brings in a different energy and, and, and dynamic to the team, and it would be interesting to see him in under Tuchel, who's wanted him, like he said, for many, many years. But apart from that, I agree with you guys. I think Pulisic should be coming in. I initially didn't have him in my starting 11, but I think he hasn't played the last two games under Tuchel and, and definitely deserves the start after the second half on Sunday. Uh, before we move on to some questions I've prepared for you guys and, and a, a, a small game that we'd like to play with you, Nishal, any score predictions from you, Nishal? I'm going to go for 2-1 Chelsea. I think it will be tight. We can't expect a thrashing, although it's always possible. I think Chelsea are the favourites, you know, in form, new manager, Tottenham out of form, but we cannot rule them out. They're still good enough. Um, they haven't lost to us this season. Nil-nil draw the bridge. And then, of course, the penalty shootout win in the League Cup all the way back in September. But I'm expecting a really good game, a really exciting game. I hope that Chelsea can break down Mourinho's defensive style. And I think they can. So it'll be an interesting game, and I'll go 2-1. 2-1 as well. And... I hope we can win it. it, and it's not another nil-nil that we've seen amongst the big clubs. But, Jackie, your thoughts on, on the score prediction? Yeah, I was initially very cynical. I was the one saying nil-nil because I wasn't very confident. But after watching the last two games and seeing how we dominated against Burnley, I think this back three with the wingbacks work really well for us, that we can actually protect ourselves on the counter specifically with the pace of Callum and, and Alonso. So I'm going to go for a 2 nil win, guys. I hope we can do that and... Put Spurs to bed. So wins all around, and I hope our team comes through and we keep pushing up and making it to the top four uh, positions. So what we're planning to do now, Nishal, and it's something that we haven't done uh, previously, but we thought we'd play a quick game with you and Jackie. So I'll ask ask each of you three questions, and it's a best of three. And no competition, but you, it does come with some bragging rights. So, Nishal, we'll start with you. Uh, I'll read out the question. I'll give you three options. You just pick one of them, and I'll let you know if that was right or wrong. And, and we can discuss it a little bit if it brings back fond memories. So, uh, let's start off. We played Spurs at the bridge in November. The final score was nil-nil, as, we, as you may remember. But Chelsea did get a goal in that game, and it was ruled offside. So who was the player that scored that goal? That's a ridiculous question. <laughs> um, oh, God. Was it Giroud? So the options were, I mean, my bad for not reading them out, it was Giroud, Timo Werner, and Mason Mount. So I'll give you another shot at it. <laughs> so that means I was wrong. No, my bad. I was supposed to read the options, and I, I got a little um, too excited as the host. So, Van or Mount? You did. You're trying to catch me out. That's why. Um, 
Oh, I can't. I didn't remember it was a disallowed goal. I won't lie. I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with Giroud. Correct answer was Timo Werner. But <laughs> that was a tough question. I I remember watching the game. It was such a dull, dull game. I didn't even remember. That's my pad, but I forgot where it was a disallowed no. goal. No, no worries. And he did score. It was I think we were on the break, and he bent it around Lloris and. We were ju- jumping and celebrating, but VAR did its piece and ruled it out. So, moving on to the second question. Uh, Chelsea played Spurs in the 2015 League Cup, Carabao Cup, whatever you want to call it, at, at Wembley. Uh, Matic was suspended and Mikel was injured. So, Jose Mourinho decided to put this player in defensive midfield. So, the options are Kurt Zuma, Ramirez, or Espelicueta. I try to remember. JT started that game, and I think I think he would have started with Zuma is what I'm thinking. But it might be Cahill. As yeah, so, could have yep, started. John Terry and, and Gary Cahill played in. The thing is, in Ramirez defense. would you expect to start a defense midfield anyway. So that, but I'm not sure. <laughs> that was that was close enough, but it was Kurt Zuma. Oh, God. <laughs> and so, final question for you, Nishal. Uh We played Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur. No good look for me. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. It's all in good fun. Uh, so, we played Tottenham in the, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last year in December 2019. <laughs> uh, we won that game 2-0. The second goal came from a penalty. Who was the player that was fouled for us to win that penalty? And the options are... Mateo Kovacic, Marcus Alonso, or Angolo Kante? Right, it's Marcus Alonso because Paolo Gazzaniga came by and asked him if we kicked him, referee games of how Tottenham. AR ruled it out, overturned it, Williams scored in the bottom right corner. So, final answer, Marcus Alonso. Perfect, that is the right answer. All right, Jackie, you're up my, my next. <laughs> you did, you did. Uh, so, Jackie, you're up next, and um, we're going to start off a little bit harder on you here. So, a first ever league meeting between uh, with with Spurs was in this year, and the options are 1909, 1906, and 1915. So, first of all, the questions you gave him, I don't know where you went and found those, but those are pretty difficult. I don't think I would have got any right. And starting off with this one isn't helping me at all either. <laughs> um, but I'm going to just take a shot in the dark here and say 1909. That is the right answer, Jackie. Spurs joined the league in 1908 and played Chelsea for the first time in 1909. Oh, but it's a big... <laughs> and, won, and won the game 2-1. Yeah, lucky guess there. <laughs> All right, so the, so the scores are tied currently. Uh, Jackie, your next question. The Battle of the Bridge in 2016, where the Spurs were going for the league title uh, against Leicester, they came to the bridge needing a win to at least stay in the title race for a week or more. Uh, and so the, qu- the question is, Chelsea were down 2-0. They fought back to make it 2-2. Eden Hazard, you, as you may remember, scored the, the equalizer. But who scored Chelsea's first goal? So the options are John Terry, Gary Cahill, or Diego Costa. Do you know what? That game 
became so famous for the Aiden Hazard goal that he scored. I don't even remember <laughs> who scored the first goal. Um, I'm going to go with John Terry. Header. I see Nishal shaking his head, so John Terry isn't the right answer. But Nishal, I think you may know the right answer. It was Gary Cahill, first time volley into the bottom corner, just after half time, pulled it back to make a 2 1. Gary Cahill. He got it right, Jackie, but it was Gary Cahill, and he started the comeback quite early in that uh, second half. <laughs> so the last question I had for you, Jackie. Nishal actually mentioned it already earlier uh, when we played Spurs in the Carabao Cup, so I am going to give you a different question, and that is, we played Spurs in an FA Cup semifinal in 2012, the same season we won the Champions League. And so I'll give you three options. Let me know what the right final score was. So it was 2-1 Chelsea win, 3-0 Chelsea win, or a 5-1 Chelsea win. Yeah, I remember that game pretty well, and I'm kind of impressed with myself. I think it was 5-1 with Frank scoring on that day. That is absolutely right, and there was also a crazy Drogba goal in there. Um, so Chelsea won 5-1 and went on to play the final against Liverpool and, and won that as well. Um, so that's it, guys. It wraps up my questions, and hopefully it was a fun segment and brought up some good memories. Um, and, and next time I'll try to keep the questions maybe a little bit easier. I thought they, those were pretty good, but um, next time I'll keep them more recent than 1909. So that wraps it up, guys. It's been a fun episode. We, we thank you, Nishal, for joining us today and bringing your key insights to enhance our discussion. And we're wishing you the very best as you continue to grow in, in the world of sport journalism and covering Chelsea and England and, and all the teams out there. And hope to have you back on the Premier Chels in the very near future. Uh, to our listeners, check out Nishal's blog as well. It's nishalsblog.com. And you can follow him on Twitter, as I mentioned earlier, at Nishal underscore SP. So thank you very much, Nishal. Thank you very much for having me. Really enjoyed it, even if that quiz was ridiculously hard. I have really enjoyed coming on today. So thank you very much for having me. And I hope all your listeners enjoyed it definitely did and it was it was a pleasure and honor having you on and hopefully we'll we'll have you on again in the very near future uh jackie any final comments and, and parting thoughts no just a quick thank you again really appreciate your insights it's always exciting not only to talk to somebody who's been at stanford bridge but someone who's a fan through and through it's great to have these little chats with you thank you again you're welcome thank you very much uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Continue to subscribe, like, follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's also at the Premier Chels. And as always, send us your feedback. And we will be back later this week to do a Spurs review and a Sheffield United preview. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels.